Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. This is episode 158 with Rodney Hicks. Rodney is an incredible performer. You may know his work from the Broadway productions of Rent and Come From Away. He's also a prolific playwright. We get deep in conversation about his writing process and some of the projects he's been working on lately. He's also a talented director and is directing Passing Strange at Portland Playhouse, which runs April 17th through May 26th. You can find more info on that by visiting portlandplayhouse.org. And now please sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 158 with Rodney Hicks. tell you how thrilled I am to introduce this guest, Rodney Hicks, finally coming on the podcast. Welcome, Rodney. Thank you so much, Woodzik. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a delight and a joy. Thank you. So for folks who don't know you, which is pretty impossible in my mind, just because you've done so many things, so many cultural touchstones of, of musicals and whatnot over the years. How do you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rodney Hicks. Nice to meet you. <laughs> there you go. Do you yeah. do you uh, describe yourself as a multi-hyphenate artist when you're first kind of getting to know theater folks? Oh, that's a really great question. I don't know, really. Um, I, I think as it comes up, you know, um, I do like the term multi-hyphenate for sure, because it's all the things, right? And I, I don't peg myself into one slot. Um, so especially now in my life. So definitely I consider myself a multi-hyphenate artist. So we're going to sort of go genre by genre with you because your career is so rich and full and has gone through different chapters. I'd love to start with playwriting. That's how I was first introduced to you with the show that you had written for local theater, how did you start playwriting? And if you could take our listeners through some of your projects that have recently happened and uh, are coming up in the future. Yes, I love that you're starting with playwriting. And, and that's like my uh, thing that I was doing in the closet for <laughs> years, taking other people's works of art and going, wow, what would I do with this? you know, listening to cast albums. And I remember being very young and opening, you know, when cast albums were albums and you would actually open the um, album cover and they'd have a full on synopsis of the entire show with pictures that I just loved. And I would create and write what I thought the show was. And we were performing in my grandmother's living room, you know, especially Annie, the whiz, uh, little Abner of all things, because <laughs> we did it in like fourth grade or something like that, or sixth grade, one of the two. And I was that person who, instead of listening to the radio, all growing up, and actually even now, um, I was in the library listening to cast recordings. I mean, now I don't go to the library listen, to listen to cast recordings. Now I just 
listen to cast recordings. But I would spend countless hours in the library checking out every kind of album I could, Broadway album, off-Broadway, didn't matter. And I would have my pencil and my paper. And I would just imagine on the page while listening to these songs and these stories. And it just, what it did, I was someone who was bullied a lot, right? For whatever reason. And especially for being gay, but it seemed as if people knew I was gay before I did. And it was say no more, right? So it, it was tough. So for me, musical theater transported me away from the rest of the world. And that's really where I began playwriting. Um, I wrote my very first play in my senior year of high school. And, I, you know, it was a comedy. Uh, <laughs> and I had, I told my father, I said, I need to rent a tux, a white tux, and da 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 uh, you know, casted, directed the whole thing, produced it. And I told our school, I said, listen, they never had a student like directed anything, student written anything. And I said, I want to do this assembly. And on this day, I had it all planned out. And, you know, it was like 10 pages, the script. But we had a special assembly for this play. And it was the biggest thrill of my, it wasn't even about being in it. It was the fact that, wow, I got to create this world for people. And it wasn't about putting the drama kids in it. It was really, I wanted to mix it up with cheerleaders, football players. But I put everybody in it who would normally not communicate with each other. And by the end of our little, I think we had like a whole month of rehearsal, you know, which was a lot for us. And by the end of that, period by the end of that show I got out of bullying mm. people stopped bullying me because of that show I will never forget it it was the fall of 1991 I graduated in 1992 and that was such a pivotal moment but I didn't go into writing um I still wanted to act and the next then when I went to college I my my friends called me baby Spike Lee because my thing was I cut class to create. I was either in the editing room or this was in college. I was either in the editing room or like in somewhere making a film, <laughs> you know, that I wrote, produced, directed it. And I had like my um, director photographer, the whole nine and did the same thing that I did previously. And I would get people from all parts of our, of our university and I would just write these uh, student films. And then I wrote a, a play as well. And, and it just, that's what I was doing all in college. And I was acting, of course. Um, and then I left after two years to go to New York City. Now, playwriting took a back seat the minute I got to New York City. And I was just writing on my own looking up like movies, like Cooley High is a great example, or Car Wash. And I would, I'm going to write this as a musical. And like, just in my, on my own, never thinking anything would happen with it. But what it was doing, it was sharpening my skills. And I was reading about playwriting, all of the things. And then I met Liz Suedos uh, in the early 2000s. And I had let her know I love this show. 
you know, and it speaks to my soul and I would love to have the opportunity to direct it. And the problem <laughs> is that I thought that I could just rewrite her whole show because I, I was calling myself updating it. And she read and she goes, I didn't give you permission to do that. <laughs> I didn't know about any of this stuff because I was just doing it on my own. And that was a big crash course into what copyright means. <laughs> but eventually in 2007, I was able to present a concert version of it. And she was in the audience and it was at uh, the Public Theater Joe's Pub. And it was great. And nothing uh, happened with it. I believe like three years later, four years later, I moved out of New York City to Portland, Oregon. But writing was never like at the forefront of my mind of something I thought I could uh, have a career at until I was diagnosed with having spasmodic dysphonia in the, my last Broadway show, Come From Away, which we'll get to in 2017. And that just rocked my world. And what I was told by friends, pivot, pivot. Because I knew I didn't want to teach because I was already a college professor. And that was awesome. You know, it was really awesome, but it was also very draining. And I realized, okay, that's not your ministry. <laughs> In that, right at that moment in my life, right? I thought I did a whole year of it and I loved it, but it was all consuming. And I knew that when I lost my voice from spasmodic dysphonia, I knew I wasn't in a place to teach what I could no longer do. And at that time, I could really barely speak and, uh, and let alone I couldn't sing at all. So there was a lot happening. Um, so... I just said, I'm going to write and didn't know if it would happen, but I was already in the process of doing that anyway. And my first play, Just Press Save, uh, that I begun in Portland, Oregon, when I lived there. And uh, Haley Kilgore was in it as well. And, you know, uh, everybody who was in that play and all the manifestations of that play were brilliant. They are brilliant. And a lot of them have just excelled in their careers and lives. And that means the world to me. You know, to have watched these young people now grow to adults and to be all they can be means the world to me. Uh, and then my second play uh, was Flame Broiled or The Ugly Play that you saw. The, you, I don't know, if, did you see the actual production? I did, yes. Okay, you saw the reading as well, the very, very first reading of it. And that was because I had no desire to write anything about race and culture. It wasn't percolating in me at all or anything like that. I just happened to go to, um, I was invited to the Dramatist Guild Foundation, uh, a masterclass that was taught by Paula Vogel. Honey, that woman is everything. It, it was that whole class. It was filled with like people who have had things on Broadway, off road, like the whole gamut and me. <laughs> and, and I was just, I was sitting in the front row. I was that student because it's Paula Vogel. And it was a three hour masterclass 
three or four hours, actually. It was, it went by quickly. So needless to say, she had what was called a bake-off at the end. And what that is, is that she will give you a prompt and then you have a half an hour to write a short play about that prompt. I've never done anything like that. And I just thought, oh, oh my God. But the first thing was imposter syndrome, you know, and then that quickly went away. And the the prompt was, <laughs> she said, I would like for you all to write a short play about uh, a person of color explaining the um to a white person to to I'm sorry not to just a white person to an out of touch white person the importance of voting that was the prompt and go <laughs> i took my laptop and went to the back row i set it down and i went to the bathroom because i said i have a half an hour let me pee <laughs> and get my nerves out and I sat there as I was walking to the bathroom, two names came to mind, George C. Wolf and Norman Lear. Those two came to mind. Uh, George C. Wolf, specifically the Colored Museum and Norman Lear, all in the family, the Jeffersons, Good Times, Maud, all of it. And really to narrow all of that down to one word, it was subversion. And I thought, oh, okay. So I wrote, uh, two women in a Burger King, you know, and that was the scene I wrote. And uh, she said, does anyone want to read it out loud? My hand shot up so fast. <laughs> it shot up so fast. And she called on someone else. <laughs> and, 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 you know, as you do. And I just sat there just eager and waiting and the person read theirs. And then she walked over and stood directly in front of me. All of this gorgeous power, soft power that she had. And she just looked at me. I looked at her and she said, do you want to read? I said, absolutely. And I wasn't nervous. It was very interesting because I said, okay, put on your actor hat now, you know, and it, as an actor, I um, am a transformative actor uh, where you, you know, people tend to not be able to pinpoint me into one role. And I worked really hard for that. And so I just became these two women, you know, reading this and I'm hearing the laughter from these playwrights and Paula. And I'm like, Actually, I was still in the scene that I was like forgetting about it, but I was holding for beats, <laughs> you know, and we finished and she looked at me and she said, I hope you can feel that. And I took a breath because everything in me wanted to cry. Tears of joy. And she said, you have to finish this play. I'm thinking, okay, well, wow that's a tall glass of milk here. So, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, wow. Now I actually have to research race and culture. Oh gosh. You know, and I've been a meditator uh, in my life now since 2014, the end of 2014, I began meditating and giving my life over to that and to the healing process. I mean, you know, healing is messy, you know? And so I didn't know that it would take as long as it takes 
right? I thought I'm meditating. The next day I am like, oh, you know, and that's not the case, right? Um, so basically I immersed myself into race relations and I had not looked at the world like that. Um, scary to say, sorry, but that is the truth. I, I just, everything for me at that point was all about shows. <laughs> it was all about like creating and theater and all of that. And it wasn't thinking about the world at large and other people's viewpoints and all of that, the politics. And I, I just wasn't thinking that. I was like, you know, when that cast album's coming out, I do. <laughs> That's where my mind was. So, you know, for many, many years, actually, you know, until that play, actually. And then I just began writing and writing. And then I uh, met Pesha Rudnick, who, oh, my gosh, she has become like a sister to me, uh, a very dear friend of mine. And basically, I said, I have this play if you want to take a look, you know, and so she read it. And she said, oh, okay. And um, I said, I would love to do a reading of it. And so I called a friend uh, to do an ask, you know, and I said, I would need this amount to do this reading and you can give it to the local theater company uh, and they can rent a space, all of the things. And that's how the reading came to be. And then after that, I was invited to do the workshop at local theater company. Now, I never intended to direct the show. I did not write it for me to direct at all, uh, even though I do love directing, but I not my own stuff, right? I would only do that for readings, you know? So my friend Marcus Potter, I enlisted him and he was like, great. He could only make the last day of the workshop. So I was directing the workshop as well. That's a tall order, especially when you're dealing with such a sensitive topic with race and culture. And this was all before 2020, right? When it basically felt like my play was like screaming at the world, you know, when the world was screaming out my play rather, right? And I was like, oh God, this is really a lot. Um, but then Marcus couldn't direct the actual production and we we said, well, we can do it in the fall or we can do the spring. He could do the spring of 2020, which it would have never happened, actually. Mm. Because it would have been in March, April of 2020, ironically. So basically, I said, you know, I'll do it, you know. And I, you know, I took on this massive thing, you know, and it was, I think the hardest thing I had ever done creatively in my life. Because as a director, you have to hold up everything for everyone. And as a writer, you have to be on your script and like listen to the actors and changes and all of that. So I had an extraordinary ass assistant director and, and Kristen Adele Calhoun, who was also an extraordinary playwright, you know, and she has a play actually uh, at the Geffen Playhouse coming up. So she was my right hand. You know what I mean? And, and I just, I, I can't say enough about her. And the four actors, they were fearless. That's all I can say about them. They were fearless and beautiful human beings. And, you know, and I have to say, you know, I did something that I would never do again. And Pesha said, I am like, I, I, I love that you did that. 
what I did was it was after our first preview and the show, I was like, oh, okay, we're good. I couldn't take being in that building anymore, hearing all of this dialogue. It was it was just doing something to me. And I just thought, because I had to direct it as well, and I, I just said, Pesha, I will be back at opening. You guys take these three days of previews so that they can like really sit in it. And if anything comes up, just email me. But I actually have to go away so that they can really own this and and I can come back and really look at it objectively, you know, um, because it's not something that I just wanted to spend. If I was just the playwright, that's that would be completely different uh, because then I, during tech, I could just sit there, <laughs> you know, and listen to the play and not watch the lights, all of these things, uh, the sound, everything. So you know, we were well, well, we were well reviewed and I was happy about that, but I knew that the journey of that play wasn't over. And I knew that, okay, this is only half a play right now <laughs> because ultimately, and I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know that the characters can coalesce and come together. And cause I, I'm all about togetherness. That is my thing, uh, racial togetherness and harmony. That is what I have grown to be in my life. And, um, you know, regardless of the world in the chaos of it, in the divisions, 2020, if, if that didn't teach me anything more, it was, who do you want to be in this world? How do you want to navigate it? Because everybody's fists were up. It doesn't matter the race, everyone's fists were up. And then I'm now got an opportunity to uh, with another play, Just to Press Save, that we had been working on for so many years. And Haley Kilgore, again, she didn't reprise the role because she was playing a trans character, actually, a trans male character. And she was amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, really, she was only like 16 or 15 and brilliant, just dropped in. But I knew all the readings going forward years now, later, it's now 2020, and I thought, oh, she can't play this role now. You know, that's not responsible. And actually, you were the first person after the reading when you were so beautiful about a moment in the old version of uh, Flame Broiled or the Ugly Play with, uh, it was a trans character moment in there. And I loved what you said and it got me, it made me think. And it was like, ooh, ooh, yes, this is what I need. And so I was able to retool all of that you know, for the play. And I remember after you saw it, you're like, thank you. <laughs> you know. If I can, just for a moment, I'm getting a little teared up here because for you to feel open enough and gracious enough for me to sort of come out of the blue and say, I have these thoughts, I have these feelings, and you were the opposite of defensive about it, right? You were like, tell me more, bring it into focus. How can I apply it? And then you did. And it's just, I'm so emotional right now because that doesn't happen that often. And so I just want to thank you for, I think maybe it's an actor mindset. Thank you for the note. Thank you for the note. And thank you can make it better. <laughs> thank you for the note. Because, you know, I then, what was that, 2019? And I spent 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023, 
continuing to work on not that play. I let that play go because I realized um, I, I then turned it into like a, I, I wrote a pilot of it and all of these things. And, you know, cause I was just trying to keep my brain creative during a world upheaval. And I thought, well, I'm going to write with the world right now, you know, but I knew this is too soon now. This is all happening right now. Who's going to want to watch this? Cause it's not funny anymore, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I met with a Broadway producer who I've known for a very long time. And they, uh, I set up a reading with four amazing friends of mine who happen to be Tony nominees and Emmy nominees. And I, I just, I was so grateful, you know, to have uh, Tracy Toms, Jen Colella, Rob McClure, and Forrest McClendon. And they did it without a rehearsal. And it was all over Zoom. And they nailed it. When I say they nailed it, it was like, and it was only me and that producer, that we were the audience. So there's no laughter. You can't hear anyone. And a lot of times, Jen or Rob or Tracy, they would unmute themselves just so we could hear the laugh from up to another scene. And even then, I, I, I just, so the, the notes that I got back, beautiful note, was... This producer said to me, I love your writing. Uh, right now, it's great junk food. And I know that you can write a whole Thanksgiving meal. And I said, ooh, okay. <laughs> can I? You know, and, you know, but what I said to him was, okay. And then I began, and he gave me a bunch of notes and wanted me to add three more characters uh, to play the young people in the show so that the adults weren't doubling as that. And uh, and I thought, okay, you know, let me try it, you know? Because I'm like, I don't see that really. I don't really see that in this play, but you're a Broadway producer. So I'm not going to say no. I'm just going to see what it is. And as I was rewriting, it became another play. And then it was the flawed play. Because that was their title. And uh, they said, you know, I think the title is The Flawed Play. And I thought about two days about it. I wasn't going to say no. Because I, I, at that point, I didn't even know what the piece was. So I knew, though, that it wasn't flame broiled or the ugly play any longer. And that producer was the first person to say, you should have these characters come back and recur because I really love these characters. And I'm like, where are they? I wanna see, see the evolution of their journey. And I thought, okay, so then I wrote this whole other complete play. You know I mean? It had HIV and it, it had all of these, all the things. And I just said, let me soften it up a little more. And I think it was in retrospect, I, I like to say that Flame Broiled or The Ugly Play was The Flames. And flawed play was like, let's put some water on it. <laughs> let's smoke it out. And then when it wasn't gaining traction as flame broiled, I thought, okay, okay, okay. Well, what else can it be? Then I went to go see Ain't No Mo on Broadway. Woo! That was when I said, I saw all the things that could be possible. And I thought, okay, okay, I think I know what this is. So I let go of the flawed play. And 
I said, okay, let me take the best parts of what I love of, the, of characters, the flame bro or the ugly play and see if I can grow them and have them evolve uh, so that it really is a different play. Example, the woman from the beauty shop in the, in the flame bro or the ugly play is now full on character Betty Ann Clayton, you know, who goes on a massive journey and you fall in love with this woman. But in the very big, she opens the show now, sitting in the beauty shop, just saying her things, but she's not mean. She is very, very, um, Jane Colella brought down the house with this role, with, with this opening monologue, because you're not ready for it, the things that are coming out of her mouth. But she is very appealing. And, and very Jennifer Garner in a way, like in terms of appearance, in terms of the warmth. And so it makes it even more accessible. But then you go on a journey. She then becomes friends with Geneva Brown, who they have that Burger King encounter. But it, it the play just keeps cracking the surface, you know. And the Will and Gill now, they become two real full dimensional gay men. You know, in a relationship, they break up, they get back, all of these things. And the trans character in it now is the little girl who identifies as a boy. You know, you, I, I think you remember in Flame Broiled, uh, the girl who was in the History, history Museum. Hmm. He was, I don't want to be here. I want to be so... Uh, people really identified with that interracial family uh, in that last reading we did this year in New York. And so the advice from another producers, more producer friends, they were like, expand on that family as well. Even, even if it's just one more scene with them, create an act two. They were like, you have half of the play done. And I'm like, okay, but this time I knew how to do it. And I wrote a whole act two to bring everyone around so that by the end of it, the last scene of the play is Joy and Mary or Mary and Joy. And we know exactly how we got to that. So you're laughing at and with these people, but you're also with everybody of every race in this audience. And you're going, oh, by the end, you're having this other thing of compassion. So it's it's called Inhale, Exhale, the play. And so I'm very excited about that. So then I started um, in 2020, at the end of 2020, I embarked on my first musical, writing the book to a new musical called 1968. And it came from me watching a documentary called 1968 that Tom Hanks produced. And it was a four-part documentary. It was extraordinary. And I sat there and I kid you not, I said, I think this is a musical. I didn't see the mountain before me, <laughs> but I just started taking notes. We, I mean, two like black and white composition books worth of notes as I kept watching this documentary over and over and then uh, taking up the year, all of the things and figuring out, okay, how many characters can, the whole, all the things. We did another, we did a reading of act one and I invited a composer friend of mine who now is going to, he, I'm, we're partners now and uh, he's my composing partner, David Austin. And he's extraordinary, but we did it for that same producer who watched the very first uh, Zoom of Flame Broiled. And they 
saw the first act. I got actors. I paid them all. And I did not know what the second or third or fourth act would be because at the time it was going to be four acts. Of course, you can't ever do a four act musical. Yeah. Right. But I needed to write four acts in order to know where I could let go of the story and where I could combine all of the things. And we did the first act. And after that, everyone's like in tears, you know, and like, dude, you got to keep going. And I'm like, story of my life. And, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep going. And I had no idea what this was going to be. Then I wrote three more acts and it was in 2021 in June. I had the audacity to call up 22 friends and said, can you sit behind a Zoom screen for four hours and just read through this? They said, yes. That meant the world to me. These are people I had known in my life for, for a long time. And some people I didn't know. And they brought their A games. And it was for, you know, two other producer friends of mine. And after I thought, well, I'm going to keep this four act thing. And uh, David at the time said, Rodney, I think this is a play. I'm like, me too. And the inheritance was running at the time. So I thought, yes, we can do a four act play. And, and I thought the music would come from uh, back in the day, but kind of ambiance. You know what I mean? And then I kept writing the four acts and I met with a director friend and they wisely said, this is a musical. You just don't know it yet. And more rewriting. And I still stayed with the four-act structure. And I thought, I'm, I, okay, if it's going to be a musical, maybe it'll be a jukebox musical. So that was even more work to, like, research all the songs of the decade. And so then 2022, my work was writing this humongous jukebox musical. We do a reading of that in July, June of 2022. Again, 22 friends. <laughs> now it's in person and music stands and all of that. And it was for a very small invited audience. And I gave them all $100 bills. Like each, I paid each person $100 and everyone's like, oh my God, okay, okay. Uh, you know, but I knew that I have to pay these actors. I have to pay the actors knowing that this will never be a four-act anything. Um, then I pivoted to go, well, let me write it as a TV series because that was a note that people had said after. And I thought, okay, I can do that. I took the Shonda Rhimes class, and <laughs> the master class. I can do this. And I then wrote four episodes, sent it to a dear, dear TV director friend of mine. And... Um, this person said, I'm loving your writing. He goes, but tell me something. Why do you want this to be a TV series? He goes, this is really screaming musical to me, like stage musical. And he goes, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I'm going to introduce you to someone. I'm going to see if they, you know, the very big deal person. And I'm like, okay. You know, they were like an exec producer on Rise, that TV show that came out on NBC and like, the share, all of these things. And I was just like, okay, you know, they read it and they were like, let's talk. I'm like, ah. and that person spent four months with me, helping me 
to get that show to a two act musical. And what I mean by helping me, like literally just giving me notes and then I would go away and write. And then they read every draft for four months, simply from the kindness of their creative heart. And I, I, I was beside myself with gratitude because I'm like, whoa, you're, you see me. You see me, someone of your, you're seeing me. And and I, I I'm not twenty something years old, you know what I mean. But but you know what I mean, like writing and going. Oh, you have a great future here. I'm like forties, late forties, and it was an extraordinary thing because, ironically, at the time I was filming a movie at the time. So when you know when you're doing a movie, you have so much downtime. So I, I was just like, oh wow, I'm in Atlanta for a month filming this film, and I had a whole week off. So in that week, I turned the whole show around after the four months of work. And after that moment, it was, oh, someone else, another producer, Broadway producers read it. And their feedback was, if it's a jukebox musical, it's going to have to have all familiar songs. And I thought, okay, I have some choices to make now. And I took a breath and I said, this is not a jukebox musical because I didn't want to compromise the characters or their stories for the sake of popularity. And I then called up David Austin, you know, who was at that very first reading and the second one. And I said, David, if you can give this a read, this is where the show is at now. But instead of these songs that you that you see, it would be your songs. And he's like, yes, yes, and. And this year, that's what we've been working on. And I'm very, very excited about it. And um, so that's, for me, that's the big writing project that I don't really talk about. <laughs> you know, I posted it once and we've just been working. So that's my writing. You know, that's my playwright. And I am a, I guess, a late starter emerging playwright, if you, <laughs> you know what I mean, at 49 years old. Um, but I'm going to keep going, you know? So that's where I'm at with the playwriting. Yeah. Thank you for being so generous about talking about everything that's process, right? Because I think we think of playwriting as mythological this magic happens and there's not a lot of transparency and so i i love how specific you were and i hope that folks who are listening who have maybe been closet playwrights especially <laughs> if they have experiences performing you are absolutely qualified to write please write that story we want to hear it we want to see your stories out in the world so write folks if you're listening to this <laughs> You learn, I've learned so much. It's interesting. I've learned so much more about myself through mm. writing. And I've learned so much more about the world through writing. And my empathy has gone sky high because of it. And my compassion for people. And I, I believe that it's the writing. Yes, it's the meditation, all of that. Yes. And I became a Reiki energy healer and all of that. But it's also the playwriting that and also everything that's been going on in our world and nothing is black and white nothing is black and white and you know you can take 
the most horrible thing about someone or you can take the the best thing about someone, but that's only a microcosmic portion of who they are. And I think both things can get magnified in our world. And then that's all they become for people. And we are so, none of us are monoliths. And writing is not monolithic. And so acting is not monolithic. And so I just decided to walk this world gently with a lot of joy. And I'm someone who's always had a lot of energy my entire life. But when I get excited, it's like, woo, watch. It, it just is natural for me. And I'm learning to balance it. But at the same time, at 49 years old, I'm like, look, this is this is all, it's all good energy. And I'm not hurting anybody with this energy. And it's it's positive. But at the same time, I also know how to read the room now. <laughs> I you love know. that you're talking about excitement, which I think we've sort of, we sort of sleep on or think it's a little like, okay, we can be dismissive of people's enthusiasm and excitement. And I never want to be that person. And one moment that I've shared with you, I really want to talk about, which segues into your acting career is when you were kind enough to come and be on a panel for a musical theater class that I was teaching. And Wow, I have never seen a group of 90 college students lean in more than when you were speaking about your experiences and specifically about when experiences are not available to you, you make your own table. And at the end of the semester, so many, the kids who chose to do the end of semester survey it was just like every other survey, Rodney Hicks, Rodney Hicks, make sure he keeps coming back to this class. And so one story you told there was your audition story for Rent. And I'm wondering if you would be so kind as to share that with this audience as well. Yes, absolutely. It was in the winter of 1995. And I was closeted, very gay Rodney. And was, um, but every part of me was telling you that I was straight. And because I thought at that point in my life that I was going to go to hell if I was gay. And I'm embarking on doing the gayest musical in Broadway history. (laughs) So it's like, you know, I was engaged to a woman at the time. Uh, I was only 21 years old, you know, and she was older than me and she had a two-year-old as well, not by me. And for me, it was instant family, right? This all goes along with this audition because it was, for a long time, it was fake it till you make it, right? But it was, I was 21 and rent happened and it was like, ooh, where do you go? Where do you go from here? You you know, and what happened, I just kept thinking that I had to keep creating manifestations of myself, right? So this audition, it said 20s to 30s uh, for Benny and Ensemble as well. And I'm like 21, but when I was 21, I I looked much younger. So I was like, um, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint on a goatee. Now, mind you, I couldn't grow a single hair on my face at 21 years old. So it was all mascara. It was all mascara. 
And just thinking that it reads. And the person who is sitting next to me was Jesse L. Martin. And to this day, that is my big brother. And I love him dearly. And he has a show on NBC called The Irrational. Please go see it if this comes out after the strike. Um, otherwise, I can't promote that. But um, I do want to say that. Uh, it comes on Monday nights. Uh, so basically, Jesse sat there next to me and he goes, you know what this show's about? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I went on and on about what it was about. And he goes, okay. And so I go into my audition and I proceed to sweat the goatee off <laughs> because I'm singing my song. I sing the wrong song. I sing This Is The Moment from Jekyll and Hyde and all of my best Robert Cuccioli-ness, you know, who years later, he and I worked together on the revival of Jacques Brel that is alive and well and living in Paris. So, it, you know, that's Broadway and New York theater. You just, you just continue to work with everybody. And I'm singing this song. And then Tim Weil, our music director, said, great. Well, Michael said, great, Rodney. Um, Tim? <laughs> and Tim said, do you have anything more pop, uh, funk, soul, you know, R&B? And I said, yes. I said, I have On the Wings of Love by Jeffrey Osborne. Because that was the song to do at that time. And he was like, great, great, great. I get he, Gets on the piano. He, he knew it, actually. He gets on the piano and he plays it. I'm singing it. And they're like, great. Rodney, do, do you dance? And I said, yeah. I used to break dance and like pop a lock, all those things and do backflips and all of that. And so, and I had just did a show in Paris and Germany that Bernie Telsey cast me in, the casting directors. So, and I knew Jonathan Larson in the, the year previous, in that in 1995, actually, in February of 1995, I did a show that he wrote called Blocks. And that was that's when I first met Anthony Rapp and Yasmin Ehlers. Yasmin was an, our original, um, one of our original swings. So I knew Jonathan walking into the room. And, and I knew Bernie. I didn't know Michael or Tim. And Jim Nicola was there. And so... Uh, the artistic director at the time of New York Theater Workshop. And so they tell me to dance and I take off my sweater and taking off the sweater with mascara, you know, it's now rubbed all over my face. There's no mirror, so I don't know. And I am just doing my best of whatever I thought I could do. And we finish and they're like, that was just, I'm, I knew they were laughing. I could feel them laughing at me. And I didn't know why. I thought they were just happy. And um, Bernie says, and it's interesting because I recounted this story at, um, it was the Broadway, um, Broadway con. And I think it was 2016 or something like that, 2015, one of the two. And we talked about the story and Bernie remembered it as well. And Bernie, <laughs> he looked at me and he says, Rodney, you, you may want to go in the bathroom. And um, and he just kind of motioned to his face. And I said, just horror in my face. And I'm like, oh my God, I go to the bathroom. Mascara was smeared all in my face, all over my face. I was 21, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, and... I thought I did not get this job. An hour later, I found out I got the job because I personally think they were like, he's touched. We need to help him out. <laughs> you know, but that was my first transformative 
um, moment in the theater was being a part of Rent with all of those extraordinary human beings, artists and friends, longtime friends. They taught me at that time that it was okay to be me, even though at that time I didn't believe that. And so I came out, I think, three times. I went in the closet and came back out. Went in. And it was uh, really because my dad, you know, uh, and, and family at the time, but really my father, I wanted to please him. Uh, and it was, you know, a point in my life where I just, I was very unhappy, you know, because I just was doing a show that I was scared of. I was scared of it, but I also knew the power in it. And then our friend dies. So it was so many, I will never forget the day, the moment that I found out. I was in a callback for Avenue X, you know, because I was moving on to my next job while we were in previews. You know, we thought we were only we were only going to run until March 3rd, March 5th. And we were getting paid like 230 something dollars a week off Broadway. And um, I was in the callback and Alan Filderman, the casting director, says, you have to go down to New York Theater Workshop, something about your composer. And I just knew because there were a couple of things that happened with John a week's prior, you know, and I hadn't experienced death in my adult life until that moment. Right. And at 21, you know, I, I was still not fully formed as, you know what I mean? Like it's like 24 is when you really are like, okay, you have an adult mind. So my processing was all over the place. Um, I didn't know how to deal with death at all. And especially someone who I was just with and hanging out and he invited us to his home. And I mean, this man fostered family like I'd never seen. And for to see someone there one minute and gone the next rocked my world in retrospect. And so I was acting out, uh, you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, because again, people will remember many versions of me. If like someone who knew me in my 20s, they were like, oh, I remember Rodney. <laughs> you know, someone knew me in my 30s. I remember Rodney in my 40s. Rodney, you know, he's been on a journey. I, 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 I've watched his growth. That means the world to me. And I'm a big advocate about never allowing anyone to define who you are. And I think I shared something today on social media, on my stories on Instagram. Cheryl Lee Ralph was saying, you have to get to a place where you can look in the mirror and say, I love me. And I shared it because that is where I am at today. You know what I mean? It's like that pandemic could have did many things to my soul and spirit. And it almost rocked me <laughs> until it didn't. And it said, no, you're going to go even further into your meditation. You're going to go even further into your healing. And there's just a joy that I've never knew that I would be able to experience in my lifetime without anything on the outside. You know, I mean, you know, it's not, you know, we all have our ups and downs, right? But I know how to manage life now. I know how to manage my internal now. And I don't take life personally any longer. 
I don't take people personally unless it's a real relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I love my platonic friends. You know, there's something so beautiful about that. I love meeting people. But I say all of that to say, I've been in this industry for 30 years. It will be 30 years next year. And I'm like, whoa, wow, that's amazing. I am someone who actually looks forward to getting older. I love it. And I never thought I'd make it past 20. You know, I'm someone who, because of things that happened growing up, I wanted to take my life during adolescence. Uh, I think four times in my life, I was like, I'm out of here. And that last time was when I lost my voice uh, after Come From Away. And I got help, for lack of a better word. And I share that because there's so many people suffering in this world, especially after the pandemic. And for me to walk in this world to not suffer any longer, it's like they say, there's a saying, hurt people hurt people. Healed people help others to heal. And no one will ever be fully healed. <laughs> you know what I mean? As long as we're here, we're always working. We are always a perfect work in progress. We're perfectly imperfect, right? So it's not about this journey and walk is not about being perfect for me because I love making mistakes actually, but they won't be the mistakes that I made in my twenties and thirties, right? But in my life now, it's like, let's go because I am here with gratitude, joy, and love, and understanding, you know? And if I misspeak about something, whatever, I'm like, tell me, please, you know, help me. And we're going to help each other. And that's how we can move forward in this life. But if anyone wants to look at me as if I'm that 22-year-old or 24-year-old or whatever, or 20-year-old even, then I keep going. Because that person doesn't exist. Because the purpose of life is to move forward and keep going and to evolve into the most authentic self that you can be. I know what it's like to live a life of being inauthentic because I'll tell you, I literally, I just didn't like myself. I didn't like myself. I didn't like looking in the mirror for many years. And I'm not saying now I just, all I do is look in the mirror. No, <laughs> at all. But when I look in the mirror, I really love what I see because I know the journey I took. And I'm grateful to God, the universe, that I was able to make, to look back on my life and make peace with my life and to make friends with my life and to make amends, you know? And so I will always be grateful for that. So I, for me, it's like, yeah, okay. You, we can talk about all these things in the past. What are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? And I know what I'm doing. I'm living to be the best version of myself possible until the day I die, whenever that is. I don't know when that is. No one does. But right now I actually have a clean bill of health. <laughs> Just went to the doctor's. And I'm grateful because, again, I didn't think I would live past four different ages of my life. So we talk about acting, and, and I think this is all important to because all I thought I had was acting right. for 
20 years of my life, more than 20 years of my life. That's all I thought I had. I was always performing, quote unquote. I did the work. No one had to tell me to do that work. This was before the pandemic. So it's like, whoa, okay. I can actually walk in this world because I realized this was someone who all I cared about was what people thought of me. Until now, I realize what people think about me is none of my business. Mm. Unless we're friends, you make it my Cool. But anything else, I have to keep moving forward because I know who I am. And I am proud to have conquered so much to be here now. Many people don't get that opportunity either through drugs, either through suicide, all of it. And I'm grateful to be in a marriage that I love. <laughs> you know, it's like my husband, I, I had wanted to be married to a man since I remember being like, what, six or something? Like having my pillow next to me and like dreaming. I remember saying to my grandma, can I marry a man? I remember that. And she said, no, <laughs> you know, but she did it gently. Very gently. My grandmother never judged me. And, but I knew if I said that to my dad, it would be a whole different thing. But my grandmother who has passed away, her gentleness, her compassion. And she was the first person that I actually, in my family said, this is me. And she said, and you are beautiful. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't want to hear that. But I think about my grandmother every single day. I carry her with me. And because she treated everyone so beautifully. And every day it's like, okay, how can I walk as gently as possible in this world, but with confidence, with humbled confidence and not, um, and how can I help someone? And it's like, that's why I'm going so candid, you know, because it's like, Hopefully that can help someone because as actors, a lot of times, especially young actors, we get into this thing of this, this is my, this is all my life, my whole life. Guess what? Think of something else to do as well. If I would have known about meditation and yoga and like Qigong and all the things that actually help your internal stay healthy and sound, I wasn't supposed to go on that journey actually. So it's okay. I was supposed to begin learning that journey in my early 40s and then have it disrupt in 2020. I mean, sorry, have it disrupt in 2017 because I was manifesting come from away the entire time I was in Portland. I knew I'm like, I'm going to go back to Broadway on my time and it'll just kind of happen. I was passing on things because I said, I want to stay in Portland because Portland is where I learned how to love myself is when I first started therapy. Now imagine having undiagnosed PTSD from the mm -hmm. time you were five years old all the way up until what? I was born in 74, so 81 is five. And so you go from 81, 1981, all the way through to 2011 without sitting down and saying, I need help. It changed, it has changed my life in my view on people and things. 
And when people, you know, we do the, everyone was doing what they did in 2020, you know, ah, rah, rah. And, and then I thought, well, okay, I'm going to do that too, I guess, you know, not publicly, but like, and I realized that's not my ministry. I want to uplift people, not call them out. Let's call you in. If that, if that is the case, I remember I was doing a show in 2019 and I was in kind of professor mode, you know, and there was this young actress and we were all at a party and um, like, a, you know, a house party. And uh, the the playwright of the musical was there. And uh, this person didn't know the composer's name of the show she was about to do. And, you know, and my theater geek nerd came out of my mouth and I should have just shut up because it was not my business. And I'm like, oh, you should know the composer. <laughs> It you know those things that just slip out of your mouth and you don't and I'm thinking I'm with fellow geeks I can you know because another another theater geek would be like oh my god right I you know but that wasn't the case and the next day though they beautifully came up to me and said when you said that this is how it affected me I was embarrassed the old Rodney wouldn't have heard any of that. And I would have went defensive. I took a breath and I said, I'm sorry. You are right. You are so right. Regardless of anything, don't care if she just got out of college. It doesn't matter. You know, I said, you are absolutely right. My deepest apologies to you. We were so cool right after that because she wasn't actually expecting me to say that. <laughs> she was ready, you know, and I knew well, I was in the wrong. That wasn't my business to say. And I just reflected that back to her. And I saw the ice melt and the warmth. And I just let her know. I said, I think you're amazing. I think, because what she didn't know was I was talking her up to everybody prior, you know, going, you got to see this talent. She's amazing. So, and I didn't need to say that to her, to this person, but what I learned a big lesson. It's like, got it, got it. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have to open your mouth, you know? And so I learned a valuable lesson in that moment about breathing. And it's like, got it. So I knew to never do that again. And it's little things because again, the journey of healing, the journey of this meditation, it's like, it uncracks everything. It uncracks everything and opens you up. And I believe wholeheartedly in that. What I don't do now is go, here's my whole life. I don't do that anymore because not everyone needs access to your whole life, you know? But I'm grateful that I shared what I shared when I did because it's, let me talk about joy and healing and as opposed to teaching and all of that, it's like, I'm going to let my life be the teacher. Anyone who wants to follow, you know? And um, it's, for me now, it's not about, you know, coming soon, this is what's next, you know? It's like, I'm gonna share it when it happens. I'm gonna share it when it's fit, when this is finished and keep it moving forward. And this directing job that I have coming up in next year, well, we're working on it now, right? Passing Strange. 
that happened. And I'm going to share this story because hopefully that will inspire someone to take a chance. That wasn't someone coming to me and going, hey, I'd love for you to, to direct this show. No, I just happened to be on the theater's website, you know, and saw that director TBA. And my friend was is the artistic, artistic director. And I thought, I'm going to just text him. And I said, hey, do you all have a director for Passing Strange? Because it's my all-time favorite show ever. Um, period. End of story. It just is. And... I saw it like 30 times from off Broadway to Broadway. I was that guy. And, and, you know, and, and they're my friends as well um, and colleagues. So basically it was one of those things where I just had a feeling and he texted me back and said, we did have a director, but they had to, had to withdraw. Why are you interested? Baby. (laughs) I took a breath. And I stopped myself from crying of tears of joy because that's all I had ever wanted was that opportunity when I lived in Portland, Oregon. And I thought, okay, now can you do it? (laughs) Do you have an approach to this? So I listened to the recording. I hadn't listened to it in a long while. And something came to me. I didn't know what it was at the moment, but I knew something was enough for me to say yes after like the third song. And I said, yes, I am interested. And they said, I'm not, the, it's three of us that have to make this this decision. So I said, awesome, no worries. He came back. They're all eager to meet you. Great. Two days. Can you have the meeting? I said, perfect. Look, when it comes to working on art, I'm a type A personality. When it comes to working on art, Otherwise, I'm just Rodney, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, but like, I love doing the things. I love activating my brain in that way. So I listened to the cast recording again, and then I somehow found the script online and I read it about three times. And then I started to find my in. And I'm, I first, my first thought before I knew it was going to be an immersive approach, I because I know the theater, all of it, I thought, okay, I texted Brian, my, my friend, Brian Weaver, and I said, Brian, uh, can your seating can change, yes? He goes, yeah. And he goes, we can do in stage or, or we can do um, traverse seating. And I thought, oh, are you kidding me? That was literally what I was thinking. Traverse seating would be best for this. And it was like, say no more. I then read the script again. And then I said, okay, for this production, the one big change I knew was the narrator of the story will be female. Mm. Everything rings different. Because what I realized in my 49 years now of living and not 30 years when I saw it, is 30, 32, I think I was, is I was listening now for the mother's journey and youth's journey in response to his mother. And I'm like, he's really mean to her the entire show. There's like no getting away from it. And where's her emotional support? And I thought, oh, what if the narrator 
is the other side of the coin of the mother, as opposed to the narrator being the older version of youth, because now we don't know how the story ends as well. And it just creates this. So I'm very excited. We have callbacks in a few weeks and um, the people, they're really great. And I'm, we were like, okay, we, we, okay, we're good. So I'm very excited about that. Um, of reversing that, not just for gimmick's sake, but it's going to deepen the show as well. And, you know, um, I, I'm very excited because it will be a show of stagecraft magic where they will be playing scenes in the audience as well and literally sitting next to an audience member at times. And like, I, I, I'm not going to say anymore, but like it, it's, Props will come from the audience as well, set piece, everything, because the audience will be part of that journey. So that therefore, no matter what race they are, by the end of this journey, they will have, because we all know what it's, we all know what it is to be a youth. We all know that. We all know the craziness of that journey, right? So by the end of this show, the goal and hope is for people to come out a little bit lighter. And I will say one thing we are going to do in act two, <laughs> act two, Berlin, the audience will be in the playing space. It's what I will say. And when they go to their seats, when they're escorted to their seats in this May Day number, they will be sitting in seats that they did not come in sitting in. They will not no longer be sitting next to their wife, their spot, any, they will be sitting next to a complete stranger for the rest of the second act. And so <laughs> there's little things, but, but I'm very excited and um, I, I'm very excited and, and I'm grateful that the theater said, yes, we love this approach. So, um, you know, I just can't wait to get into the room you know, work through all the script, all of the things. So now we're just going to get our um, rest of our creative team. And I'm very excited. Um, I'll be coming back from another project um, that I'm really grateful for that it looks like I'll be doing for two months prior to that. And I'll be able to put my feet on the ground and and switch it from an actor to then directing, you know, and that I I can honestly say I will be living my best life I am right now, actually. Um, I redid our backyard for my whole month of August because it needed it beyond. And I didn't know what I was doing until I did. I just used YouTube. And I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to overhaul this whole thing. That was my entire month of August. And every week, my husband would go, you sure you don't want to get anyone? <laughs> And I said, no, 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 I, I'm going to do this. My back was killing me, everything. But I said, I want to do this because creators have to create. We have to create. Doesn't matter what it is. And so I was recreating our backyard. And that's when I got the, that's when the whole passing strange thing was happening. So I was able to just continue to do that. And so my own thing, I love importing med meditation into my process when I'm directing it just, you know, I'm really excited about it. But I, this has be my fourth thing that I've directed in my career, actually, um, professionally. And I am beyond grateful for this opportunity, for this new opportunity to do this thing 
that I've spent years watching some of the greats do and being literally in the room creating with them. And I've learned a lot, but what I've learned above anything else is compassion and gratitude so that it's, we're all in Portland, Oregon doing that show. It is not Rodney coming from New York, all these things. Well, really Denver, right? But, but it's, no, we're all on the same level and we're going to do something really spectacular together. It is about a team. Susan Stroman, we did the Scottsboro Boys together. Stro, that beautiful human being, an extraordinary artist. She said to us, when we went into that theater, I'm asking you all to get to know every single person who works here in this theater. The ushers, the janitors, the everyone, please. From that moment on, that has been my work ethic to make sure I not just say hi to people, but I know their names and I engage with people. And that means a lot to me. Uh, And it means a lot, I think, to those people. They have said it to me, you know, wow, usually I'm invisible. And you see me, I'm like, you know what? Usually I'm invisible (laughs) and you see me. You know, there's a quote from Pearly Victorious, which just got a rave review, thank God. Um, There is a quote uh, that she says, uh, it's very funny, I'm probably going to mess it up. But one of the characters says, you know, being colored, (laughs) she said, being colored is, being colored is great, especially when nobody is looking. (laughs) You know, being colored is great, especially when nobody's looking. And, but she's saying it in the 1930s. Right. And it's like, but we're still laughing today because it's like, and that's why the show is timeless. It's like we we are still working on our inherited American trauma. Mm. And hopefully, hopefully we will begin to shed it. You know, because I know I've been able to shed my inherited family trauma you know, and change the needle and change the course in direction and go, let's stop the cycle. Let's stop the cycle. Let's keep it moving forward with love and acceptance and gratitude. Gratitude will change the course of anyone's life. I wake up, I'll leave you with this. I wake up every day for the past three years. I say (laughs) two words, thank you. That's it. I say thank you. Because you don't know what that thank you is covering for you, is helping you through. Even on days when I did not want to say thank you. (laughs) You know, it's because you have to really mean it. It's there are many people who do not have the privilege to wake up. And it's now happening more and more, especially as I get older. And and this year, I think three colleagues and friends have died, you know, and it's it's just interesting, you know, two of of, I want to say natural causes. And then one was they took their life. 
And I posted that one. We did a, we did Jesus Christ Superstar together. And this was a person who was always there for me when I was just mentally gone, still doing a show, right? And I remember them seeing me unconditionally. So to know that they were wrestling with their mental health and unfortunately they succumbed to it, that just makes me keep going even more, you know, because I realize it's, it's, life is fleeting and it, it, it's, you know, healing is not linear. <laughs> life is not linear, all of it. And it can be taken like that. We just don't know how long we're here. So you have these people that are angry all the time about something or this or that, or they want to talk about everybody in the world, right? And, and all of these things. And it's like, I'm living my life in a way that I want to be con not content. I want to be fulfilled and satisfied and happy with whatever the last thing I said to that person, if that is the last time I see them. Because so many people helped me in my life and so many people were there for me. When I lost my voice to spasmodic dysphonia in 2017 with Come From Away, our producers, our director, they stood by me the entire time for all of these years. Even when my mind started going away again in the pandemic, thinking, ah, you know, they were like, you got this. You got this. Go slow. Go slow. Healing takes time. Sue Frost, I, that woman is my heart. She's an amazing Broadway producer. And she just kept telling me, go slow. Healing takes time. And I think... You know, like I was like, I just want to, you know, do it, do it. And I realized just allow things to happen. Don't try to force it. Allow things to happen. And that's how I've been living, you know, um, in this year, you know, there's been a lot of breakthroughs. I found my inner happiness and peace. And that, those two things is what, I had been seeking my entire life to realize that it was right there in me all along and that I was enough. Oh, I feel like I've just gotten a master class. I just, you radiate. I feel like I'm in the same room with you right now. I'm in Wisconsin. I think you're in Colorado right now. And we're in, I just, I feel like I've gotten like five Reiki sessions in a row. Like my energy is totally different. Thank you for being so generous with your time and talking about not only talking about your experiences, but really offering just energetic and practical advice for everyone who's going to be experiencing this. This is this is a highlight of my year, this time with you right now. So Thank you so much, Rodney. We're going to have your bio and your Instagram and LinkedIn in the episode description. Folks, if you're listening, 
oh my gosh, go check out Passing Strange in the spring of 2024. And Portland, yeah. in Portland, Oregon. In Portland, Oregon. I'm going to through May 26. Okay. Uh, we'll have that link in the episode description as well. I'm going to let you go now so you can be amazing to other people. I don't want to hog you all to myself. Um, thank you. Oh. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your presence. I appreciate you. Thank you for reaching back. And thank you, whoever is listening to this. And may your day be brighter. Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Woodzik. This podcast is distributed by American Theatre Magazine. And this episode was edited by Travis Rosemary Kerhart Fishbach. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next month for more interviews with artists and cultural trailblazers.